Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is brought to our church by our worship pastor, Brian Self. We hope that this message will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. We're going to be reading Isaiah chapter 7 and verse number 14. We're going to be talking about tonight, Emmanuel. Uh, It's a word that, uh, obviously, we just sung a song about it, uh, but it's a word uh, that comes from uh, the ancient Hebrew language. It's a promise that was given. Uh, It was a prophecy that was also given. It's a great thought, and I know that we're going to be encouraged through it tonight. The Bible says this in Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Uh, Dear Lord, I ask tonight that you would be glorified in your church. God, thank you for uh, giving us such a great weekend where we were able to uh, present the gospel, where we could join together as a church family and invite those that we know. And uh, Lord, exalt you in song and in giving. And uh, Lord, for the great preaching that we heard as well, and just the admonition to have that lived out in our everyday life. Uh, God, we ask that you would bless tonight, that uh, you would communicate to us clearly from your word. And God, I ask that uh, as I preach, that you would speak through me, uh, that it would be clear and direct. And uh, Lord, we ask that you would change us as a result of what we hear tonight. We love you, Lord, and pray all of this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, when I, uh, when Pastor had originally told his staff guys, hey, we're going to uh, be having some of the staff guys preach during the Thursdays in December, I was super excited. I love every chance I get to uh, open up God's word. Uh, and I thought, okay, well, it's December. Really, we only have pretty much one time a year that we talk about Christmassy things, that we talk, go over some of the Christmas passages. This is when we do it. And so, man, I... I thought, I went, oh man, I I really like the name Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, Over the years, it's had a lot of meaning for me. I've heard a lot of great songs that referenced Emmanuel. And so I thought, okay, a great Christmas message. I'm going to preach on Emmanuel. And so I went over to Isaiah 7, 14, and and, uh, many of us would be familiar with that verse, that prophecy of the virgin birth of Christ, that he wasn't going to be just like every other man that was born He was going to be unique and special. He was going to be the son of a virgin. But as I looked at Isaiah 7, I went, hold on. There's there's verses around Isaiah 7, 14. It's not just all there by itself. There's a whole passage that goes with it. And so we're going to dive into some of this passage tonight. But before we uh, jump right into Isaiah chapter 7, I want us to take a look real quick at the background of what's happening here in this chapter. The subject of this chapter uh, is King Ahaz of Judah. Now, King Ahaz, uh, how many of you know a bunch about him? Okay, I'm seeing like two, three hands. I'm with everyone that didn't raise their hand. I didn't know about King Ahaz. I didn't know anything about him until I began studying for this message. King Ahaz ruled the southern kingdom of Judah. So, Uh, You had the first couple kings of Israel, you had Saul, you had David, you had Solomon, and they ruled over the 12 tribes of Israel. It was one big nation, and they ruled over it, but because of sin, uh, particularly in Solomon's life and in his son Rehoboam's life, uh, the kingdom was split into the 10 northern tribes, and that nation's name was Israel, and then there were the two southern tribes, and uh, their kingdom's name was Judah, and King Ahaz was one of the rulers, he was a king over the southern kingdom. 
Now, King Ahaz, he worshiped many false gods. Uh, I don't have the time to go into the whole story of Kings and Chronicles. If you want to get a good look at some of this, go to uh, the book of 2 Chronicles, chapters 26 through 28. It will really challenge you as a Christian. It'll really help you in your Christian walk as you read through uh, some of these passages. But King Ahaz, unlike his father, King Jotham, he worshiped many false gods uh, and in, a, in terrible ways. He made idols of gods and then worshiped them. Uh, anything that I can make, I don't think I would worship. Uh, Robert would know some of, these, uh, some of these trees I helped screw together. I wouldn't go, yes, oh great wooden Christmas tree, I now worship you. It's stupid to do, but this is what King Ahaz did. He made idols and worshiped them. Not only that, but he sacrificed and burned incense uh, to idols, um, particularly in the valley of Hinnom and some of those gods. And the Bible says that he even sacrificed some of his children to the false god Molech. This was a wicked, wicked king uh, who had really wandered far from God's plan for Judah and for Israel. That plan being, hey, God wants those nations to show the world what it means, what it's like to have a relationship with God. And he'd wandered very, very far from that. And as a result of a lot of his sin, King Ahaz and the kingdom of Judah was invaded by five different nations. Uh, Israel and Syria during this time uh, were really becoming wary. They were scared of a new world power that had come on the scene. It was the kingdom of Assyria. If you know much about world history, you know that Assyria was a huge global superpower. They had a huge army that really committed a lot of war atrocities that would probably be illegal now. Uh, but they, at this time, Assyria, was on a northern uh, pillage, a northern course. They were taking out a bunch of the nations to their north. And Syria and Israel knew, okay, well, they've taken out a lot of the people to the east. They've taken out a lot of the people to the south. Now they're going to be coming towards us. They're going to be coming out west. And so uh, Syria and Israel said, okay, we're going to make a coalition of our nations and uh, we're going to get as many nations in as we can and we're going to have one united front against the Assyrians. We're going to fight them. We're going to take them on. They said, Ahaz, king of Judah, do you want to join our party? Do you want to join our coalition of people against Assyria? He said, no, I don't want to do that. So they attacked him. And in their attack, they killed 120,000 men of Judah, including Ahaz's son, Messiah, Ahaz's ruler of the palace, Azrakam, and the prime minister, Elkanah. Not only that, which you would think if 120,000 people died in a war, that would be a huge blow, especially to a nation as small as Judah. Uh, but they also kidnapped 200,000 women and children. So as Israel and Syria, as they're going back to their lands... God sends a prophet that says, hey, what are you doing? These are your brothers and sisters. These are your family members. He's saying this to Israel. He says, hey, Judah, even though you guys are separate nations now, you're still related. You're still the children of Israel. You are still descendants of Abraham and of Israel. What are you doing? And so they took the captives back uh, to Judah, but they had kidnapped 200,000, killed 120,000. So because of all this, King Ahaz took temple vessels for worship of false gods and bribes to Assyria. 
Uh, Ahaz, in addition to Israel and Syria attacking him, he had also been attacked by Edom, which was a nation directly uh, to the east of him. Edom had attacked, Israel and Syria had attacked. The Philistines had attacked and taken over the southern cities and villages. And uh, King Ahaz had basically had enough. He says, I don't want any more of this. And so he took a lot of the things from the temple, a lot of the riches, a lot of the gold, a lot of the silver uh, that David had amassed and Solomon had put together in in the temple, uh, even riches that had amassed over the years and that had been put in the temple for worship of the Lord. And he took a lot of these very valuable things that belonged to God and he sent them over to the king of Assyria and said, hey, Tiglath-Pileser, would you uh, take this stuff basically as a bribe And would you fight Syria and Israel for me? Not only that, but after he had been attacked by Syria and Israel, he went, man, Syria's God seems to be really powerful. So he saw an altar in Damascus and went, man, I really like how that looks. So he had the plans and everything drawn up for it. And he literally broke in pieces things that were in the temple for God's use. He broke them in pieces and made altars, uh, it says, on every corner of Jerusalem uh, for the worship of false gods. It also didn't help that once he had sent all of these riches over to Assyria, that then Assyria went, hey, Judah has a lot of money. They've got a lot of riches. So then Assyria came, and they took even more things away from Judah. So all of this is happening, and all of this is centered around this one king, this wicked king, King Ahaz. He's a descendant of David, who God had promised uh, would have an everlasting kingdom, a, a throne forever and ever, but he's not living like David. And if you knew the story of his grandfather, King Uzziah, or his dad, King Jotham, you would know he wasn't living like either of them. He's worshiping other gods. He's enduring failure after failure, military loss after military loss, invasion after invasion, and all of this is happening. To this then, in Isaiah chapter 7, comes God's promise of deliverance in verses 1 through 9. It says here, it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, king of Israel, went up toward Jerusalem to war against it, but could not prevail against it. And it was told the house of David, saying, Syria is confederate with Ephraim. Ephraim there being another word for uh, that nation of Israel. And his heart was moved, and the heart of his people as the trees of wood are moved with the wind. Then said the Lord unto Isaiah, Go forth now to meet Ahaz, thou and Sherejashub thy son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fuller's field. And say unto him, Take heed, and be quiet, fear not, neither be faint-hearted for the two tails of these smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of Rezin with Syria, and of the son of Ramalia, because Syria... Ephraim and the son of Ramalia have taken evil counsel against thee, saying, Let us go up against Judah and vex it, and let us make a breach therein for us, and set a king in the midst of it, even the son of Tabio. Thus saith the Lord God, It shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. And within threescore and five years shall Ephraim be broken, that it be not a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Ramalia's son. If ye will not believe, surely ye shall not be established. 
So that's a little wordy, but basically what happens in essence is this. God tells the prophet Isaiah, hey, I want you to take your son, Shir Jashub, and you're going to go to the fuller's pool. Now, in Jerusalem, especially in these old days, uh, there was a constant problem uh, with having a consistent water source. They would have to go out of the city of Jerusalem in, a, in order to be able to get water. I don't know if you remember from, ooh, maybe last November, uh, when uh, there was a message preached on Psalm 46, where some of this is mentioned in the story of Ahaz's son, Hezekiah, water's always scarce in Jerusalem. So Ahaz is going down. He's already suffered a lot of losses. He's already had a lot of things that have gone wrong for him. So now he goes down to the Fuller's Pool. He's looking and seeing, okay, what kind of water supply do we have? What do we have if Israel and Syria come again to fight us? Are we going to have enough water to make it through a siege? Are we going to be able to make it? And Isaiah comes and he gives the prophecy of the Lord, the promise of God, hey, don't worry. Both of these kings, both of these kingdoms are not going to prevail against you. Judah's not going to be destroyed by them. I'm going to protect you. And uh, this is what is going to happen. God promised Ahaz, even though he had rejected God, his word, and his worship, that he would save Judah from destruction. This is such an awesome thing to me that even though Ahaz had done all of these wicked things, he'd made idols, worshiped them, sacrificed to them, uh, taken things from God to serve other gods, taken things from God to send his bribes to foreign kings instead of going to God in prayer, God still says, hey, I will still take care of you. This is God's promise to him. It's an awesome thing, but we see in response to this, Ahaz's posture of defiance. Uh, Isaiah gives this prophecy to Ahaz, which I would think I would be encouraged by. If, Pastor, if, uh, if God sent a prophet to you and said, hey, I know, uh, I don't know, your house is being attacked right now by six kids, but it's not going to be destroyed. <laughs> You'll still have a house after all of this. Uh, you know, you might be a little bit grateful. You might say, praise the Lord. You might say something in response. But that's not what we see from Ahaz. Instead, the evidence from Scripture would be he has no real response to this prophet of God. Uh, Ahaz has no mention of going to God at any point except to take God's things and use it for his own ends, to try and make things happen his own way. So then the Lord gives a sign to Ahaz. He says, moreover, the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. And he said, Isaiah, hear ye now, O house of David. Is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will ye weary my God also? We see here, uh, God says to Ahaz, he's going to give the exact same uh, wording, the exact same uh, promise of a sign that he's going to give years later to Ahaz's son, Hezekiah. He asks Ahaz, hey, ask for a sign, any sort of a sign. You can ask it as deep as you want, as high as you want, anything. Ask for a sign from the Lord that he's going to do this for you, that the Lord will work for you. 
And Ahaz says, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. He's borrowing a phrase here from the book of Deuteronomy after uh, Moses is rehashing what happened in the wilderness where the Israelites uh, doubted God, they doubted his word, and so they went their own way. And so he's saying, oh, I'm not going to tempt the Lord with a sign. Well, when God asks you to do something, you're not tempting him when you do what he asks. Here he has a very false piety. And in reality, Ahaz told God, I refuse to put you to the test. I'm not going to tempt you. I'm not going to test you. The problem was that Ahaz had put the gods of Hinnom to the test. He'd sacrificed his own children to the gods of Hinnom. He'd put the gods of Damascus to the test. He had sacrificed to them. He'd built altars on every corner of Jerusalem to the gods of Damascus. And in giving the bribes and the riches of the temple of Judah uh, to Assyria, he'd put the gods of Assyria to the test. He had no problem tempting deities. He had no problem putting other gods to the test and other people to the test. But he wanted nothing to do with God. To this then, God's response was God's presence declared. He gives here the verse we started off with, Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Butter and honey shall he eat that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her kings. In this thing of God's presence declared, we see first that God promised to be faithful to David's descendants, though they had progressively wandered farther and farther from him. It is said of David, uh, Ahaz's great, 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 great grandfather, that he was a man after God's own heart. It was even said of Solomon, as we see at the beginning of Solomon's life, uh, that he had a heart to follow God, a heart to know wisdom, uh, to know the mind of God, and to want to follow it. But now Ahaz, many generations later, is now far, far from God, doing things that David and Solomon would maybe never have been able to foresee or to believe. We can see this in Isaiah 7 and verse 14. It says, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Now, in the old English, the word you doesn't mean exactly how we'd use it today. I would say like, you, Veronica, or you, Jim. In the old English, this you is a plural form. We might use, well, Mike might use the word y'all, or Danny might use the word y'all. The Lord himself shall give y'all a sign. Now, we can see uh, some of this over in uh, verse number one through three, where uh, Isaiah comes with his son, and he's at the well, and Ahaz wouldn't have been at this fuller's pool by himself. He would have had maybe some family members around him. He would have had some military counselors around him, maybe some uh, strategic people that would know, okay, uh, we need to get this much water to this section of town. These would all be people that would be within the tribe of Judah, that would be the descendants of David. And so here, uh, Isaiah gives the prophecy from the Lord that the Lord himself is going to give you all a sign. This is to the descendants of David. 
you say, why the descendants of David? Why does that matter? Because of the promise that the Lord gave David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. It says, also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee in house. And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, when you die, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. When God says he's going to establish a throne forever, or when God says he's going to do something forever, he means it. When he says that we are saved forever, he means it. And here he has promised a throne. He's promised a, uh, a descendant on the throne of David forever. But Ahaz is doubting all of this. This is why he's worshiping the false gods of the land that he lives in. It's why he's worshiping and sacrificing to the false gods of Damascus. It's why he's sending money uh, and gifts over to Assyria. He doesn't believe that God is going to be the one to save his people. And to this, God promises to be faithful, even though they had wandered far from him. But then we see also in the next part of verse number 14 that God in his justice and sovereignty, he spurns Ahaz's unbelief and self-reliance, declaring himself Judah's savior and promises the seed of the woman to David's descendants, bypassing Ahaz entirely. Uh, you see, Ahaz thought that he was going to be the one that would secure the victory for Judah. He goes, okay, my country's under attack. Uh, I'm going to be the one to save this. I'm going to be the hero of the day. And to do that, he sacrifices to all these things. He leads these military campaigns. He's plotting out, okay, during the siege, are we going to have enough water for all of these things? Ahaz thinks that he's the savior. He's the hero. He's the one that's going to get all of this done. But God has a different plan. He says in verse 14, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. You see, normally, virgins don't conceive and bear a son. That's not normally how it would work. But this same promise of the seed of a woman or the fruit of a woman comes in Genesis 3 as well. God says to Satan himself, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. This is the first mention, I think it's called the Proto-Evangelion in the fancy talk. Basically, it's the first promise of the Messiah in Scripture, Genesis 3, where God promises, hey, I'm going to undo what Satan has done in the garden, separating God and man and causing uh, the perfection that was in the Garden of Eden to be broken. God says, I'm going to make all of this right. And he says here, it's going to come through the seed of the woman. And in this passage, Ahaz thought, hey, I'm going to be the great one. I'm going to be the one that all of this greatness is going to come through. But God says, no, it's going to come through a son born of a virgin, and his name is going to be Emmanuel, God with us. God says, Ahaz, you're not the hero of the story. Even your countries, your armies, your riches that you think you have are not your savior. I am your savior. So then the question becomes, how does this apply to us? How many of you are literally in charge of a nation of people, armies, any of that. Carlos, I fear your army more than any other army on this planet. 
how does this apply to us? How do we take the promises that God promised to Ahaz himself of, hey, I'm going to make all of this right. I'm going to save Judah. I promised David that I would establish his throne forever. Uh, How do we apply any of this to us? Well, we can see some principles from this passage. The first is that God is always faithful to keep his promises, even when we fail him. Aren't you thankful for that? If God could only keep his promises when we keep up our end of the bargain, God would never have made any promises. We would fail them every single time. For those of you that are married, you know that that's true of how many times you've, you know, maybe told your wife or your husband, oh yeah, I'm going to do that, and then immediately forgot. I'm guilty. Uh, God is so much better than we are. When God promises something, it will come to pass. Not only that, but God wants to show himself strong in our lives. Uh, the verse in first, uh, it might be second Chronicles, second Chronicles 16, 9 says, for the, eyes of, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect towards him. God wants to be actively involved in your life. He is not just one who created the world and left it alone. He is not just one who created you and then left you alone. He didn't just save you and say, okay, now it's all up to you. God desperately wants that personal relationship with you, not where you try and pull yourself up by the bootstraps and be a better Christian every day, but one where you come to him and you say, God, God with me, Emmanuel, I need your strength, knowing that I'm not the savior, I'm not the hero of my story. You're the hero. You're the one that is my savior and sustainer. Next, we can see that like Ahaz, we are always going to be tempted to put our faith in ourselves, in others, and in other gods. But we must realize that God is our savior and our sustainer. Everyone wants to be the hero of their own story. Everyone wants to be the one that says, hey, in my life, you know, maybe in raising kids, I was the one that led all of my children to the Lord. I helped them be great citizens. I helped them this and this and this. But we have to realize I'm not the savior of my children. I'm not the one that's going to be the great one in the story. When it comes to the stories of our lives, of the difficulties that we face, it's not going to come because we were smart enough, we were intelligent enough, we were this or that. It's only going to come through, hey, I believe in the God who is with me. It's only going to come through Emmanuel. It can also be tempting to put our faith in others, where we might say, okay, I'm putting my faith in pastor. I'm going to bring my kids to pastor, and pastor is going to make them great citizens and going to make them follow God. But our salvation, the the greatness of our lives, good lives, don't come through other people. It's only going to come from God. So a practical application would be, who do we turn to more? When we run into difficulties, is our first thought, okay, I got to think of a solution. Is our first thought, oh, I'm going to phone mom or dad or friend or pastor, or is that, hey, I got to pray. I have to turn to God's word. And then a tragic thing we see from Ahaz's life is that he turned to so many other gods. Uh, 
nowadays, I don't know what your specific gods may be that uh, maybe sometimes would try and rise up in our life. Maybe for some people, it would be gods of money or finance. It might be gods of even family, things of that nature. It might be gods of pleasure or entertainment or fun. In all of these things, we have to not turn to ourselves, to others, or to other gods to do what only God can do in our lives. He's the one that saves us. He's the one that sustains us. He is Emmanuel. And then I also love this. You don't have to follow the bad patterns and examples of others. Your walk with God is unique, voluntary, and embedded with countless promises from his word. Um, one of the tragic things of the story of Ahaz is that he didn't have to do what he did. He had had a grandfather and a father that had both loved the Lord and had walked with God. He didn't have to be like this. And Ahaz's son, Hezekiah, was one that followed God and loved the Lord and didn't do what his father Ahaz did. The thing to us becomes we have to voluntarily choose, I am going to follow God. It's not going to happen just by coasting through our Christian life. It will be something that we have to choose for ourselves. We don't get it from our parents. We can't automatically pass it to our children. It is a voluntary choice that we have to make. I love in the story of Hezekiah, we see kind of the opposite of what happens with Ahaz. Ahaz says, I don't want anything to do with God, his promises. I'm going to do it my own way. And he's such a terrible king that when he dies, the kingdom of Judah doesn't even bury him with the rest of their kings. He's just buried in his own tomb away from everyone else because his testimony had been, I don't care about God. So he wasn't buried with any of the other kings that did follow God. His son Hezekiah, however, faced a lot of the same problems that Ahaz did. Specifically, Assyria came against Judah in Hezekiah's lifetime. He came with hundreds of thousands of soldiers. They surrounded Jerusalem. They had burned down tons of land, captured cities, all of these things. And you have really Jerusalem's the last stronghold of the kingdom of Judah. And as we learned about last year from Psalm 46, God himself worked on their behalf and sent an angel that defeated the Assyrian army with, uh, with no, uh, no battle whatsoever. It was absolutely lopsided with God himself working for Judah. But God gives the same general sign to Hezekiah that he gave to his father Ahaz of, hey, Hezekiah, ask anything you want and I'll do it. Hezekiah did ask God, hey God, would you put the sun an hour back? And God did it for him. So Hezekiah didn't have to do what his father did. And Ahaz couldn't just coast on what his father and his grandfather did. So for you, are you making your walk with God personal or are you coasting on someone else's faith? That's something that we all have to look at. However, not everything closes there. Go to Matthew chapter 1, and this is the other time in the Bible where we read about Emmanuel. We came to this passage on Sunday, actually, with Pastor. In verse number 22, Matthew 1, verse 22. It says this, as we learned about on Sunday, the angel comes to Joseph, says, Don't fear to take Mary, uh, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. 
In verse 22, it says, Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. In all of this mess that happens, God brings the promise again to a descendant of David. You can look up at the very beginning of the chapter of Matthew 1, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David. And not only that, but as you go down that list, as you can read all of the begats, they're actually there for a reason. You can read Ahaz's name there in verse number 9. Ozias or Uzziah begat Jotham, and Jotham begat Achaz or Ahaz. In this line where God had promised, hey, Judah, I'm going to keep you alive. You're not going to be destroyed. You can trust me. Now God brings the promise full circle to the house of David, to a son of David, to one of David's descendants, just like he had promised hundreds of years prior to Isaiah. And now he says, hey, Joseph, son of David, descendant of David, Emmanuel's finally here. It's happening. I'm true to my word. To the unbelieving, uncaring King Ahaz was given the promise of a child who would signify God's presence and victory over his enemies. God said, Ahaz, just as sure as this child, you are going to survive. To the believing, betrayed descendant of Ahaz, Joseph was given the promise of a child who would be God's presence and victory over sin and death. When you come to this part of the Bible in Matthew chapter 1 or in Isaiah 7, when you come to Matthew 1, the significance of this verse that he gives right after the angel tells Joseph not to fear is God always keeps his promises. He'll keep his promises to you. The question is, will you believe like Joseph and act quickly like Pastor talked about on Sunday? Or will you disbelieve and try your own way like Ahaz. That's the admonition from God's word this evening. And I hope that it would be an encouragement to you like it was to me. Uh, For one of the kids' classes, we were writing out a list of all of the different promises of God that Jesus would come. And there's literally hundreds of them. I think it numbers somewhere around 300 prophecies from the Old Testament about Jesus coming in the New Testament. In every one of these prophecies, God has proved himself faithful and will prove himself faithful to you. He's been faithful in 2020. We're here. God has not stopped providing for us. God hasn't stopped his work in the church. So have faith in 2020 at the end of it and the beginning of 2021. I can believe the promises of God and I can obey and I can follow. I don't have to fear. Instead, I can believe in Emmanuel, God with us. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.